Welcome to Lesson Impossible, an exploration of educational innovation. I'm your host, Aviva Levin. As always, I'm chatting with educators of all types who are on the forefront of pedagogy, are making effective changes to old practices. Your lesson, should you choose to accept it, is to engage and motivate your students through improv. The special agent assigned to help you with this task is French and social studies teacher, as well as podcast mission coordinator, Aviva Levin. joining me in celebrating the 50th episode of Lesson Impossible. My goal when I started this podcast 50 episodes ago was to share the successes and struggles that are often kept behind closed classroom doors. I am absolutely thrilled that during the last 13 months, I've been able to share the wisdom of all my special agents and resource specialists with thousands of teachers, administrators, educational professionals, and community members in over 30 different countries. I'm so grateful that there are listeners like you who are willing to spend their limited free time with the podcast. And I also want to give a special thanks to listeners who take the time to rate or review the podcast, subscribe through a podcasting app, forward a link to a colleague or friend, or even include the podcast in their staff newsletter as they're the reason the podcast can continue to grow and reach new ears. Over these 50 episodes, I've especially enjoyed connecting with amazing educators who are also podcasters. Not only have they given me encouragement and support, they have invited me to share my stories on their podcasts and vice versa. Due to that, this episode is going to be a bit different than usual. Rather than me interviewing a teacher... Marie Cooney, a former guest, is interviewing me on her podcast, The Compassionate Educator Show, and I'm sharing the audio with you. This is truly a win-win-win for me. I get a chance to introduce you to a podcast I enjoy. I can share my particular educational passion, improv, as I become a special agent for my very own impossible lesson. And I don't have to edit any audio other than an intro and an outro. There's also a bonus for any listeners who have been wondering about my canine co-host, Shelby, who in the early episodes liked to make herself heard through tail wagging or snoring. She definitely makes an appearance in the background of this one that you can't miss. So please enjoy this change of the usual routine. And if you enjoy Marie's calm, friendly voice and amazing interviewing techniques as much as I do, don't forget to head over to the Compassionate Educators Show to subscribe. Welcome to the Compassionate Educators Show for teachers who desire to change lives without self-sacrifice. Let's dig deep together into the skill set, mindset, and best practices you and your students need to thrive in today's schools. Now your host, Marie Cooney. Welcome to today's episode of the Compassionate Educators Show. I am so happy to have Aviva Levin here today with us, and she is the host of Lesson Impossible, another wonderful podcast that I had an opportunity to be a guest on a month or two ago now, and now I am honored that she is here to bring in her passions, her interests, her hobbies, and talk a little bit more about how we can really make 
our classrooms more creative and inspiring and engaged. So welcome, Aviva. Thank you. I know I mentioned that you have a wonderful podcast as well, but if you can give our listeners a little bit of more information about about your background, that would be great. Absolutely. So I was, well, I still am an educator, but I was a teacher in British Columbia for 10 years, teaching high school, social studies, and French. And I moved with my husband to the Seattle area uh, because he's an aeronautical engineer. And so by moving, I am not able to work uh, in the U.S. currently. And so I was faced with a a little bit of a challenge of like, I've been going non, non, non stop for so long. What am I going to do with my time? What is it that I that I want to do if I'm if I'm not teaching? And so I decided that I was going to choose something that was really challenging to me, but I was also going to stay involved in education. And because I really wanted the time that I was spending away from education in the classroom, that I would come back to be a better teacher when I got back into the classroom. So that's how the podcast started, the Lesson Impossible podcast, because I was and still am challenged by some of the marketing and the technology around podcasting, but I'm really enjoying talking to lots of really innovative and risk-taking educators and people with amazing messages like yourself. I'm also uh, doing a master's program in French language instruction. And so, and missing the classroom every day, I will say, but doing some volunteering. Before COVID, I was able to do some volunteering in local schools, which was really cool. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Yeah, it is. Once once we are out of the classroom for a bit, there is that just sense of longing because it's such a unique experience to be a part of. I know, Aviva, that you have another passion and interest as well. And we spoke a little bit about the idea of improv. So I would love to hear how you got started with improv. Absolutely. So I was a very, very shy kid. And um, I was an only child and I lived a lot in my imagination. And when I was finally trying to like get out of my shell, my parents tried, you know, different things for me and theater kind of stuck for me. And then when I worked within theater, I had the chance to try out improv. And that was just something that absolutely clicked for me, like a puzzle piece snapping into place. Um, And so for listeners that don't know, improv theater is when you're given a prompt of some sort, whether it's a, a word or a phrase or a picture, whatever it is. And it's your job to collaboratively create a skit or I've even done long form improv or made an entire movie like on the stage for like an hour and a half of, and you're making it up absolutely on the spot, just going with whatever comes to the top of your head. And so I loved that. And I've been doing that since I was 15 and I'm turning 34 now. So it's been a, a long time. I've been with the same troupe in, in BC, TMP Improv for the majority of that time. And I still go back in non-COVID times once a year to do our big charity show. And what I realized when I was teaching French was, and this was kind of separated in improv at the time, was that I was really feeling like I was doing my students a disservice 
in terms of their ability to communicate because we were doing all of these different uh, role plays where they would write out or memorize dialogue like, do you have celery? Yes, I have celery. How much is your celery? Well, my celery costs... And, and nobody ever speaks like that. And all the times that I've been in, in Francophone areas, I've never actually had that conversation because I go to the grocery store and I buy the celery on my, by myself. And so I was like, how can I actually make conversation a goal for my students? Mm-hmm. Because conversation, you know, doesn't have a dictionary. It doesn't have written language that you're reading off a piece of paper. And at the same time, I was also really struggling with the fact that very few of my resources in my classroom were representative of my student population. So I had a lot of, you know, white straight protagonists who had difficulties that they overcame, like, oh, no, I lost my favorite pencil. And then that was just kind of it. And so I slowly started introducing improv into my classroom because I felt like it really was the, I'm not going to say panacea, but it, it was the solution for, to a couple of my, of, of my issues, which was one, improv is conversation. Every conversation you have is improv. You're coming up with stuff off the top of your head. You're saying it aloud. You're getting input from the other person in that scene slash conversation. Most of our improv conversations are, I mean, not super interesting and wouldn't make for good dialogue, but it's still improv. But it also solved my problem of representation because who were the main characters in all of the improv stories? But my students, they literally represented every single aspect of my students and they could bring in so much of themselves, whether it was what their family looked like or what, you know, their own ideas of fairness and and justice and fun and hobbies or whatever it was made its way into the conversation into the improv scenes because when you're not censoring yourself because you're worried your peers are going to judge you and I will say we did a lot of laying the groundwork to make sure it was a safe space so that we got rid of that fear of our peers judging us then everything just kind of comes out and we had a lot of fun a lot of laughter And as I like to say, you know, if my students can do this in their second language, then any kids can do it in their first one. (laughs) That sounds like a lot of fun. And there's so many amazing pieces that you brought into this. So first of all, just yourself being shy and quiet. And I was the same. I was the same growing up. Had a really hard time speaking in the classroom, a lot of fear of judgment. And so when you create the safe space in the classroom where students can be themselves and they have this very playful type of learning, have you seen a difference with your students as well in the way that they're interacting with one another and with their content? Absolutely. So I can, I can kind of divide that up into two things. So the interacting with each other, I think it's just, you know, anytime you're centering the experience of of laughter and fun, I think that just creates a better relationship. I think too that oftentimes we, when we're having kids go into groups, as a teacher, you're kind of, on one hand, you want to make it so that the groups are always, you know, fluid and kids are getting to know new kids. But at the same time, 
you know, you're worried, well, if it counts for grades and they don't get that choice. So by really taking away making improv just instead of making it some, and I have used it as an assessment. I will say that I have used it as a, as a summative assessment, but making it just sort of part of the conversation and part of the, the activities that we regularly do in the classroom and the kids know that there's very low stakes involved. They've been able to work with so many different kids in the class that they normally they normally wouldn't. So I think that really strengthened just us getting to know each other. And the thing I said before about kids having the chance to bring their authentic selves into the classroom, I think that also, you know, sparks conversations because then afterwards someone could be like, oh, you play Minecraft, I play Minecraft and, and all of those things that, or, you know, like your grandma lives with you, my grandma lives with me, like that kind of thing uh, happens. In terms of content, I'd say that, uh, it's been amazing. Um, I know that a lot of people who hear me talk about this, whether I'm bringing it into social studies, I, I'm speaking specifically about French now, but I brought it into my social studies classes as well. Firmly believe you can bring it into any content area. Um, and they're like, but what about, what about the content? And what I found is that when you make the content part of the fun, there is that it's less siloed in their mind of this is a thing that I know from a book and this is what's happening. So if it's something like I've done in social studies where it's like, okay, well, we've studied these two political figures. Um, I want you to do a scene where they are meeting in an unexpected place. Like, you know, and then we'll pull something from a hat, like, you know, they're meeting in a McDonald's or they're, they're meeting on a space station or whatever it is. <laughs> they're able to bring in those, the knowledge that they, they've, they had, and maybe they didn't even realize that they had into the scene uh, because they want to make their peers laugh, and, but they want to make it relevant. And they, I, I think that's something we often forget is that kids know more then they're letting on a lot of the time because the only time we ask them what they know is through writing. And so for students, especially students for whom the written exam or essay is not the best way to find out what they know, by asking them to show me through an improv scene, I'm able to get a much better sense of what, what they know. And it, it certainly has allowed me to be able to, I think, access students' love of the content in, in social studies in a way that they, they weren't getting before. Yeah. For French, one thing that I really noticed, and this works in social studies too as well, and so oftentimes with improv, I'm not doing true improv with the kids where I'm saying like, okay, and go. I do give them time to pre-plan a little bit, but the rule is that their phones stay in the classroom and all they have with them is whatever like material we've worked on in class that they they would need for that, whether it's a workbook or uh, I don't usually use textbooks, but like a, a worksheet or something like that. And so what I find is that students come to me for little mini sessions where they'll be like, OK, well, I want to say this in French. This is what I, I want to be able to express, but I'm not sure how. And so I'm able to take that group aside and do, you know, this little mini lesson on the plus que parfait and how it applies to what they're trying to say. 
And that sticks with them because it was relevant to their, to their lives in that moment. They wanted to be able to say something, they learned how to say it, and then they remember. So then if we circle back to it in class or we never do again, sometimes they're still using it because they remember it. Same thing with socials. Like kids come to me and they're like, okay, well, you know, I understand that, you know, Genghis Khan is in the McDonald's and he's interacting with Joan of Arc. And this is what I understand about what happened during, you know, Joan of Arc's trial. But I have these questions because I want Genghis Khan to make fun of her and poke holes at this. And then so then we go through and we're like, okay, yeah, no, you're right. You remember that. But actually, did you know? And then so we get these like little little breakout teaching sessions that are so much fun. And it's not me being a sage on the stage. It's me interacting with kids and we draw out what each other knows and how to make that into a really fun and engaging scene. So Aviva, my first question is, how do I sign up for your class? (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to be honest. (laughs) I have a free pro D because like I said, I can't work in the States. I've been offering a free pro D for the last almost two years. No one has ever taken me up on it. So if anyone listening wants uh, either a chance to chat about this and how they can bring it into their class, or I can do virtual or maybe in person when this is over at my website, lessonimpossible.com in the about part, there's a Prodi workshop that I'm literally giving away for free. And I think I've emailed a lot of people and I think maybe they just don't believe me that like that there's a catch, but there's no catch. I just love talking about this stuff. We need someone to sign up for this. This yeah. is wonderful. I will make sure that I put the link in the show notes because this is so much fun. I mean, there's so, so much good stuff here. I mean, when we look at the emotions that these kids are having as they're having fun making those connections, it makes me think of Uh, Last season, I spoke with Dan Hill, who's a researcher specifically on emotions. And he said, when you can get your students to have emotions of surprise or excitement that they're going to absorb the information so much more, exactly what you're saying. And so, so interconnected. (laughs) And I love too that the way that you're utilizing this can be so helpful too for our English language learners, you know, not just the kids who are a little bit more on the shy side, but those students who really have, you know, are working through learning multiple languages at once. And it doesn't have to be a language class. Like you said, it could be any, any subject, but for our students who are again, have more than one language that they're processing. This is a fabulous way to get them connected to. Absolutely. And I do say that it's perfect because it's self-differentiated. This is also great for if you're going to be away, you need to leave a note for the person that's taking over your class. All you have to say is like, do an improv scene, here are the prompts, and then like the kids just take it away. But you don't have to make changes because the kids self-differentiate. They do what they're comfortable with. They do what they're capable of doing. So for instance, I've had students in my social studies classes and, you know, if that student is nonverbal or that student has a lot of trouble with processing written information or even spoken information, like it's self-differentiating because I've literally had kids either because of their shyness or because of their abilities, you know, they're going to play the wise tree that just stands there and says a few things. But as I tell the kids, we want to make that character 
it's not that the person, if they can only say a few things, isn't unimportant. That wise tree is going to be the, the solution to the story. So a nonverbal student or student with a lot of limitations can be the most important character in a story, just doing what they're capable of doing. And I, I think that's really helpful for the other students, too, to find ways to center that student in the scene. Well, I definitely did not expect to have watery eyes during this conversation. (laughs) But the way that you're able to bring in every student and make them feel important and give them confidence and really have everyone rally around each other and build that community. Oh, I absolutely (laughs) love this. I, I really, really do hope that Um, We have a few people who are listening, take you up on your offer and work on bringing this into their classrooms because there's so much incredible potential here um, to make a big difference for, for these children. And would you suggest teachers at any grade level utilizing this in the classroom or do you have different ideas for how this could be used um, with some of the younger kids? I know that we've spoken about high school, but would this be accessible to the younger students as well? I absolutely think it is. I think it looks differently. There's a lot more, um, you know, sometimes fart jokes that might come up than you would (laughs) find with a 16 or a 17 year old. Um, And I definitely know that it works at every level. Like I was mostly using this with my senior students, but then I was, you know, as I grew more confident, I started using it with my beginning students. And even when they only had the kind of language that was like, you know, very basic sentences, very basic vocabulary, we were still able to do a lot with just body language and noises and and all that kind of stuff. So it is definitely accessible. I've sat down with teachers and I found a way to use it in Honestly, I was like, throw, throw the subject matters at me. I'll tell you how you can do an improv scene. Tech ed, I'm still not sure. Other than maybe doing some like in the beginning when you're doing your safety stuff, like doing some fun scenes about like what happens when the safety stuff isn't followed. Uh, but I can't imagine like doing a scene with a bandsaw. Um, but I think, yeah, if you know your students and they're, And like I said, if it feels like a a safe place where mistakes can happen, where laughter is the goal, where I really take this idea of right and wrong out of it, Mm -hmm. occasionally I'll stop and be like, I'll never single out a student, but I will say like, oh, I'm noticing that everyone seems to think that, and I just want to clarify, or, oh, you know, in terms of language, we're we're all kind of using this verb wrong, let's talk about it. Um, but they know that like, they're never going to be called out. They're never going to be shut down. And so much of improv, like the basics of improv is this idea of yes. And you take whatever someone's giving you and then you just roll with it, which I think is an amazing skill for everybody because there's so much, I think, especially in the self-censoring that we teach students, Mm -hmm. it's great to have critical thinking. Critical thinking is amazing, but sometimes it's just good to just go with whatever's thrown at you. Don't think about it and just plunge into it. Yeah. And so many times I have teachers asking about growth mindset and different ways to bring growth mindset into the classroom. This is a perfect example. Like you said, they are learning that mistakes are okay. They're learning that they can continue what 
someone else, you know, has started and then they can continue and it can evolve the yes and. It's such a beautiful way to just continue the evolution of communication, really. So, yeah. um, And I do a lot of, um, if I'm doing this as part of a more structured unit where it's like a keystone of the unit, we'll do a lot of self-reflection. And I'm really, really keen to tell the kids at the beginning that we're all going to suck. This is going to just be awful. Like you're going to, you're not going to feel good about it. And I, I use that kind of metaphor of like the first time that you go for a run, if you haven't, you know, you're training for a 5k, you're going to want to puke your guts out and it's not going to feel good. But by the time you do that 5k, it's going to feel amazing. And so we really track our growth in terms of whatever skills that I'm trying to focus on, but also how we feel about it. Like, did we feel confident? Did we feel heard? Did our voice feel like it, it made it into the scene? Um, and I, I think that growth mindset too, because they can see looking back from the beginning where they'll score themselves on their scenes and they'll be like, oh, I, like that was just awful. And then they just see it getting better and better and better. And I have quotes from previous years that I show the kids basically being like, okay, you're going to be really scared right now, but it's going to be okay. And you're going to hate it, but I promise you, you're going to love it. And like, (laughs) don't sit too close to Ms. Levin because her laugh is really loud and your hearing might be damaged. (laughs) Taping again, taping last year's, um, students and having them give some feedback and what a fun activity to do with students too. What are your, what would you tell next year's class about this? That's so much fun. Yeah. And so for a teacher who is listening and they're kind of thinking about how to use this in their classroom, of course they can directly go to you and get some suggestions, but just off the top of your head, what would be like the number one piece of information you think teachers should know before they really get started with this and bringing it into their classroom? So I have a theoretical and a practical. So well, yeah, to hear both. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to feel weird giving up control in your classroom and it's going to be hard, but the best kind of learning happens when you're not in control because ultimately we want our kids to leave our classrooms and not have us there controlling what they're learning and what they're doing. So seeing them leave the room and you've maybe literally given them like three words to work with and say, okay, I'm going to see you in 25 minutes and I'm going to trust you that this is going to be appropriate and it's going to, you know, you're going to do what you're supposed to do. And I'm not going to say that there aren't kids that goof off, but if you, don't expect your kids to goof off. Like, why are you even teaching? Right. Like, (laughs) um, and so letting go, I think is going to be the hardest thing. And you need to really sit with that being uncomfortable and take the advice of other people that have done it and know, and other kids and know that it's going to be okay. Um, and then the practical is just that like there's so much on online about improv that can be adapted. And really there is an unlimited number of ways that you can make anything an improv scene. Like I said, I've done stuff, you know, where you show the first 20 seconds of a, uh, a video and then you tell the kids, okay, I want you to finish it. How do you think it ends? And then we see everybody's scenes and then we watch the real ending and the kids are always better. And, or we take, you know, whatever 
the vocabulary is for the unit, whether it is ribosomes or it is, you know, different uh, types of government. You put it in the hat, the kids take some, they leave, they come back. What's amazing is that you don't need to do too much thinking here because the kids are going to figure out a way to make this work because in anything you are using their own desire to impress their peers as a tool for their learning. They want this to go well. There's no kid that's okay with standing up there and bombing and not looking good in front of their peers. Mm. So they are going to be working a lot harder than they're going to work on a worksheet so that their peers are going to laugh or think, ooh, that's a good idea. Mm. So this would be a perfect tool to use if, let's say, the lesson plans didn't come together so well the night before and you can put some things in a hat and let the kids <laughs> draw. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Or like I said, if you if you realize at 1 a.m. that you got the stomach flu, if you are, you know, if half your kids are missing because they had the stomach flu and you need to put that lesson aside, or if you, it's a Friday and you just want to, want to have some fun with it. Oh, this is so great. And is there anything else that you'd like to add before we wrap up for the day? Yeah, I think just like improv is clearly my passion and I love it. And I think that it has a place in every single classroom and I'm happy to help facilitate that. But I think that no matter what your passion is, if you love it and it brings you joy and you bring it into the classroom, that the kids are going to find joy in it too. So it doesn't have to be improv. It can be all sorts of things, whether, you know, you're a doodler and like, I try and do a lot of doodling activities with my kids because I find that fun and like it brings in different concepts, but like, I don't do it as well because I'm not a doodler. And so I don't know all the different, I'm just copying other people's activities. But if you truly love something, you're able to see all the facets of the ways that it can connect to what you're teaching. Cause you obviously love what you teach and you love what you do on the side. So bringing them together is a lot of fun. Well, I'm so grateful to you that you are kicking us off for this summer session. <laughs> and so the next two months, it's all going to be enrichment. And I think of it as the most fun summer school podcast that you can listen to this summer. Please also make sure that you tune into Lesson Impossible with Aviva. You can find it on all major podcast platforms. And again, thank you so much for being here, Aviva. My pleasure, Marie. Thank you. If you would like more information, resources, and inspiration to be a life-changing teacher without self-sacrifice, I invite you to head on over to our Facebook group, Compassionate Educators, where you can also connect with more educators who are striving to make a difference. And if you liked this episode of the Compassionate Educators show, please head on over to Apple Podcasts to rate, review, and share it with a friend. As always, I so appreciate you being here, and I send love and light your way. Thank you again to Marie Cooney for letting me air the audio from the Compassionate Educator Show. You can listen to more of her wisdom by clicking the link provided in the show notes. This week, she is doing something similar to what you just heard, as she's airing my interview of her as one of her own episodes. So feel free to check that out if you'd like some more of the Marie and Aviva combo. 
This episode will not self-destruct in five seconds, but will remain available on your preferred podcasting platform. More details about this episode, links to resources or people we mentioned, and information in general about the podcast and its mission can be found at LessonImpossible.com. If you enjoy the podcast, you can help other listeners discover it by rating and reviewing on iTunes, forwarding it to a colleague, or posting a link in your favorite educational chat. This has been Lesson Impossible, and I was your host, Aviva Levin.